Bayani Bash, Bekhir Ben, Sabah al Khair, Ahlam Asahlam Bikum, Salam Alaikum. So uh, I'd like to begin by thanking the organizers of this uh, conference. Um, it's really an amazing occasion. It's been so uh, instructive to hear about all the wonderful projects that are underway. And they give us, certainly I feel, a very strong um, beam of light and encouragement in the middle of an extremely dark episode. Iraq has, of course, been through many dark episodes. Uh, this is but one of uh, 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 an endless cycle, one, one might say, as a, an archaeologist and a historian in the long sequence of Iraq's history. But inshallah, we are reaching a, a lighter period in the uh, development of Iraq. So I'm going to be talking to you today about an organization called Rashid International. It's a relatively new organization, um, and it's very much situated within a range of global concerns and issues. Iraq's past is a global past. Um, I think everyone is aware of that. Iraq, I think, has a, a special claim to having within its history and within its archaeology an incredible series of um, major uh, events and major episodes in the human story. Uh, things like the transition from hunting to farming. Iraq is one of the first places in the world where that transition happens. The world's first cities appear in Iraq. The world's first writing and many other uh, attributes of the human condition are evolved and are developed first and foremost in Iraq and in neighboring countries too. So uh, we also of course face an episode of intentional destruction of cultural property which again is not unique. This has happened before in Iraq as in many other countries including my own country England in the past. Um, a point I want to stress today and I'll come back to that later is that we must not let this issue hijack the agenda completely because there are lots of other important more, more systemic and more chronic issues that need our continuing attention as well. So we have a, an international determination to pool our resources to best effect in, in addressing the immediate and the longer term issues. And we need to make sure that everyone gets a voice in what is going on. So not just uh, international experts, but local people, male and female, need to have a say in what is happening and what needs to happen uh, within the, the current situation. Now, of course, as I say, we are faced with this urgent and um, very immediate and very um, visible issue of deliberate intentional destruction of, of cultural heritage. And you see on the top left here a picture of the shrine of Nebi Yunus when in the 1980s, uh, actually during construction of foundations, I saw this at the time actually, these uh, remarkable Assyrian um, uh, reliefs and lamassu were discovered. Um, I don't know what's happened to them actually in the destruction of Nebi Yunus. I don't know if anyone has any information on these uh, amazing features underlying the shrine of Nebi Yunus. Um, but anyway, that's a picture sort of summarizing what's uh, what's been affecting uh, Nebi Yunus as an epitome of the wider picture. Now Iraq is of course having a terrible time. Nobody needs to, to be told that. Um, but again taking a longer term pers perspective uh, we can go back even into the first millennium BC to the time of the Neo-Assyrian Empire where we see mass movements of people. We're seeing that same sort of scale of mobility, forced mobility of people from their homes 
uh, within and beyond Iraq and from outside Iraq into Iraq and so on, on a, on a, on a really massive scale, of course. This has all sorts of cultural, economic, social implications that within which a concern for cultural heritage is, is very firmly situated. So what and who are Rashid International? We have a website that is fairly newly up at rashid-international.org. Um, we've only been existent, in existence for a year or so, and I've only been involved for the past couple of months, actually, so I'm still really finding my feet. I was asked if I would like to be president. I said, give me 10 days to think about it. Um, and I decided in the end that, yes, I did want to do this and uh, felt I had something to contribute with colleagues uh, around the world and especially in Iraq itself. So our mission statement is to assist with uh, protection, preservation and appreciation of Iraq's cultural heritage, supporting the following types of activities, uh, collecting and sharing information and knowledge, cooperating with national and international authorities, engaging and collaborating with Iraqi state officials uh, regarding the cultural heritage of Iraq, advocating and lobbying at a range of levels uh, for protection of Iraq's cultural heritage, and engaging in public education and outreach activities regarding Iraq's cultural heritage. We have at the moment about 70 members. We're about to have a big drive on membership, uh, with, uh, which will actually coincide with us charging for membership because we need, we need to uh, generate some funds to keep ourselves going. Uh, not, not in a big way. We're going to have a three-tier system of membership with uh, Iraqi nationals uh, paying the least amount, but very, very little, in fact, to, to become members, others paying a bit more. Our organization is registered in Munich, in Germany, as a, a charity, a charitable status, which gives us certain um, rights, including uh, recognition that we're a human rights organization. That gives us access to all sorts of um, uh, facilities and funding pots and so on. Uh, but it also, of course, gives us responsibilities to behave in a certain way and to keep immaculate records of our, of our activities and our expenditures and accounts and so on. There are four of us on the board of directors at the moment. Myself, Simone Moule, who's just had a baby girl, congratulations to her. Um, uh, Olivier Neuenhuser at Leiden and Rafał Kolinski at um, Adam Mikowicz in Poland. So what, what are we up to? Well, I'm going to summarize very quickly a few projects that are either underway or we hope about to get underway or, or indeed are quite well advanced and have been sort of co-opted into the Rashid portfolio uh, at which this one I'm starting with is in that latter category. This is the Monuments of Mosul project which was a Czech Academy of Sciences project led by uh, Dr. Karol Novacek of uh, Palaki University in Czech Republic with several of his colleagues who happened to have a, a sort of wealth of expertise on medieval and modern Mosul and the monuments of Mosul. So with a with a Czech Academy of Sciences grant, they put together a, a really fantastic website, monumentsofmosul.org, which um, is, is really special. It gives a huge amount of information about the monuments of Mosul in a very careful way, as of course it, ha it has to be careful given who might look at it. Um, so we have a lot of information on sites that have been destroyed by Daesh. These are mainly um, uh, shrines, Shia, Sunni, uh, Christian, uh, Yazidi, etc., buildings and shrines and monuments of 
cultural and religious and ethnic significance in Mosul. Now, at the same time, Carroll and his team have, have researched monuments of significance that have not been destroyed. And of course, we don't want this information on the website, so, so it isn't there. But it is available to people to whom it should be available. Uh, so we have actually shared that information with um, authorities here via the State Board of Antiquities and Heritage with uh, senior military authorities in Baghdad and in uh, Kurdistan regional government. Um, not solely regarding Mosul, but uh, with a main focus on Mosul, quite naturally, as that is, uh, uh, inshallah, about to be liberated from the uh, occupiers. Um, we've also shared this information with, with others who we think uh, should know about it, uh, including in the US State Department, who have been extremely appreciative of the, the sort of detail that, it, that is in here. So as I say, this is a project that we've really sort of co-opted with Carol and his team from the Czech Academy of Sciences and, and used uh, to ho hopefully beneficial and useful ends. But I, uh, back to this point about not letting Daesh hijack our agenda, our long-term agenda, which should be a concern with things like urban development, massive civil engineering projects, which do not pay adequate attention to cultural heritage. This is a problem worldwide, of course. It's not an Iraqi problem. It's a worldwide problem, including in England, where we're, we're about to revoke laws that uh, necessitate um, regular or, or continual archaeological investigation prior to development of sites. That's, that's uh, apparently going to change in England at some time soon. Um, th this is an image of Nineveh, uh, aerial image taken in 1955. And you can see that uh, you've got Mosul on the right bank of the Tigris at the bottom left there. Nineveh, with almost no urban build-up, a little bit of a settlement around the shrine of Nebi Yunus uh, at the sort of bottom center of the picture there. Um, if we jump forward to 2002 in this um, aster image, you can see the, the blue is urban sprawl and the red is vegetation. Um, Nineveh is on the tentative list of World, UNESCO World Heritage Sites it cannot get onto the full list while looking like this because it has to have a buffer zone that, that, that featured in one of the talks yesterday. You know, uh, sites, it's not only about sites when you get a site onto the World Heritage List, it's about the buffer zone around it, about it being properly protected. And uh, in this condition, you know, regardless of Daesh and what they're up to, this is going to be a very hard sell to get onto the World Heritage uh, List. And that's important for a whole range of reasons. And that's you know, that's just one example. There are endless examples one could point to around the world, of course, of inappropriate urban sprawl that is not properly controlled by appropriate authorities without you know, meaningful input from those who really know. Now, in addition to these Czech and other sources, we've been collating Arabic sources on Mosul. Uh, in particular, this astonishing book by Hisham al-Madfai, who was a deputy mayor of Baghdad in the 1980s and has only a few years ago actually produced this book on Tajid al-Khadari al-Merkaz Medinat al-Mosul al-Qadima, the urban renewal of uh, old Mosul's center. This is an incredibly detailed 400-page book. He is a um, civil engineer and architect um, uh, with an interest in heritage buildings, and this includes incredibly detailed maps of Mosul with um, uh, uh, all sorts of plans for the reconstruction of it prior, of course, to Daesh's occupation. 
Um, we've scanned this, made a PDF of it, and again circulated it to people that we feel should, uh, should have access to it. So that's one uh, set of projects. Now something else we're working on is uh, cultural rights. Uh, cultural rights as human rights, as, as I mentioned earlier, we are recognized as a human rights organization. That meant that I was able to get authorization from the International Service for Human Rights in New York to, to get a pass to the UN headquarters where I was for a few days last week. Um, attending meetings, I met with Professor Karim, Karima Benoun, who's the special rapporteur in the field of cultural rights and who is uh, pushing hard on the issue of intentional destruction of cultural property as her major focus in her first 18 months or so in, in this office. She's a professor of law at University of California, Davis, as well. So I was able to meet with her and to go to her presentation to the UN General Assembly last week, which was a, an astonishing occasion. I mean, she gave a wonderful presentation. There were then questions from about a dozen of the national delegations, um, including Iraq and Iran and um, Turkey and many others. Um, she stressed in her presentation issues like the role of cultural rights defenders, that is, people like you and me, who actually, in theory at least, know what we're talking about, and who um, dedicate our lives to protecting, and in some cases give our lives, uh, not, uh, certainly from Syria and Iraq, in the defense of cultural property. She very much stressed the importance that needs to be given to cultural rights and cultural heritage defenders as a, as a category of people or as a class of people within the human rights scheme. She also has a very strong emphasis on a gender-sensitive approach to cultural rights and the, the fact that we need to recognize uh, the role of women as well as men in uh, cultural heritage activities and defense in, in various ways that may be less obvious, perhaps, than male roles. Um, so that, that was a, a really a, amazing occasion. Um, we produced, uh, she put out a call, and I know several people in this room also produced reports to respond to this call for studies on intentional destruction of cultural heritage. We produced a report, particularly on Mosul, but also a bit more widely on Iraq, which is now on the, the website at the link down at the bottom, along with the Imana report, which was submitted to, and I, I think about 30 others. Uh, which all make very interesting reading. Um, Professor Balloon mentioned in her speech to the UN that she, she is, tying in with what I was saying earlier, she's going to shift her focus in the next year or so to development as, as a major issue in th threats to cultural heritage and to cultural rights, and it's going to be very interesting to see what she has to say about that. Now another and sort of related issue is international law and human rights, and this is being led by our legal advisor, Mr. Sean Fobber from Munich. He has worked with Amnesty International and the International Service for Human Rights, and is very well uh, versed and well connected in the field of law and human rights, globally speaking. Um, so he's taking forward a project uh, sort of situating the issues, specific issues around Iraqi cultural heritage in this broader context. So the basic principles here are enshrined in the, uh, in the whole sort of international law around human rights, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the International Covenant on Economic 
social and cultural rights amongst, amongst other uh, legal frameworks. Uh, basic principles are that everyone has the right to participate in cultural life. Everyone has the right to education, not solely, of course, about cultural life, but including that, everyone has the right to freedom of religion and belief and to express that through their culture. And also the principle of universality of culture, which means that everyone in the world has the right to enjoy and appreciate everyone else's culture. That's a right. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's a right that everyone has. So I, I have a right to appreciate Iraqi culture. Iraqis have a right to appreciate English culture if they choose to. It's a, it's a right that one has as a global citizen. Uh, one of the most worrying statements to come out of our own Prime Minister's office recently was Theresa May's statement that if you think you are a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere. I think a really worrying thing for uh, someone to say, but totally in keeping with the trend in UK politics at the, at the time, sadly. So all sorts of issues uh, to explore here. Uh, what we're actually doing, led by Sean Fobber, is uh, advocating for international action at the United Nations Human Rights Council. I'll come on to that a bit more specifically in a minute. Advocating for ratification of international treaties relating to uh, cultural heritage and cultural rights. Working with state governments, above all Iraq, of course, but others too, uh, uh, to ensure implementation of international cultural heritage laws. Advancing the state of the laws themselves. These are all quite ambitious and uh, we're step by step, obviously, to, to address these sorts of things looking at issues around uh, war crimes and other crimes against uh, cultural heritage, and also thinking about education and ways forward uh, more longer term. So what have we done in this field so far? Well, um, we've been discussing with our Iraqi colleagues um, signing up to the second protocol of the Hague Convention, the 1999 second protocol. And Kais, I think Kais is not here at the moment, but. Um, he assures us that Iraq is about indeed to sign up to the uh, second protocol of the Hague Convention, or the full title of which is Hague Convention relating to protection of cultural property in the event of armed conflict or something like that, which was uh, initially promulgated in 1954 after the Second World War and the massive destruction of cultural property at that time. The second protocol is significant because it has an increased emphasis on protection uh, of sites during, during military conflict and the ability to claim and be granted enhanced cultural status. And that is significant because it then enables the state party to the protocol to apply for funding to assist with protection of cultural sites. So we very much want to encourage the Iraqi government to sign up to this second protocol as soon as possible. There is a pot of money which has hundreds of thousands of dollars in. There's only ever been two claims made on that pot of money. And once the Iraqi government signs up, it can then apply for, for example, money to pay extra guards to protect sites or whatever it might be uh, with this enhanced uh, protection status. Um, last Friday, the 28th October, was actually a big day in Iraq's history, although I suspect not many people have heard of it, but Iraq was actually elected to the Human Rights Council of the United Nations, along with 13 other countries, uh, excluding the Russian Federation, which didn't get elected. It was standing for re-election, but didn't get re-elected. So this is a major achievement for Iraq, to be on the Human Rights Council. It gives Iraq a chance to have a say 
in uh, the future of human rights, and in particular with people like you who are Iraqis and who serve within the State Board of Antiquities and Heritage to foreground the significance of cultural rights and cultural heritage within human rights. This is an amazing opportunity. We've been talking with uh, uh, colleagues in the Iraqi Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, met the Iraqi Foreign Minister in, in London a couple of weeks ago to talk about this. With the Iraqi Ambassador, uh, Dr. Saleh Al-Tamimi, with the Iraqi Cultural Attaché, Dr. Hassan Al-Alaq, with the Iraqi mission, uh, Permanent Mission to the United Nations in New York and in Geneva as well about this. And I think we're starting to get a groundswell going of, of interest and uh, attention to this. So it's great news that Iraq is now on the Human Rights uh, Council. Um, there is something called Universal Periodic Review of all states around the world, which is conducted by the Human Rights Council. And every country around the world has a review of its human rights every four years, drawing on three sets of information. A report provided by the state itself, a report generated by the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council, and a synthesis of reports provided by NGOs. So we at Rashid International are sort of putting ourselves forward as one of those NGOs that we hope will be uh, listened to and that will feature in an assessment of Iraq's universal period, periodic review, the next one of which is in 2018. So its last one was in 2014 spring. So through 2017-18, we'll be putting together a report on cultural rights and cultural heritage in particular in Iraq with a view to, as I say, contributing to the Universal Periodic Review. All countries in the world except Israel actually participate in this, in this procedure. So every country in the world. And it's, it's, a, it's not a superficial exercise. It's a genuine exploration of the state of human rights in, each of the, in the country under consideration and it's taken very seriously. Um, now, something else that comes from the Human Rights uh, Council is a recent resolution, number 3320, uh, of 30th September, so just a, a few weeks ago, uh, which is the first ever um, declaration, or, or resolution rather, involving cultural heritage and cultural rights by the Human Rights Council. And we had some input into this, I'm, I'm pleased to say. This was sponsored by Cyprus, and I met with the Cyprus mission in, in New York last week to discuss further developments. Um, Iraq, prior to being elected to the Human Rights Council, was one of the sponsors of this uh, resolution. Uh, it uh, will leave, there's going to be an intercessional seminar. We're, again, putting ourselves forward as an NGO to be involved in that sometime in 2017 to look at how to take cultural rights forward as a human rights issue led by the, the Human Rights Council itself, now with Iraq fully on board. That now is on the website uh, at, uh, that, uh, at that link. You can easily find this through the UN Human Rights Council website. What we've marked in yellow here are bits where we think text we provided, Rashid International provided, have made it into the, into the actual resolution itself. It's, it's very difficult to be sure about this, but the phraseology that we provided, uh, significant parts of it seem to have made it into the, well, have made it into the resolution 3320 itself, which, which is nice to see. It's nice that, you know, the words we say seem to get somewhere. Um, so there's a lot to explore there. We're really just starting with this, but with Sean on, on board, with Sean actually 
driving this really and his amazing network of contacts and experience I think I think will make a difference here now I also wanted to mention uh, I won't go on too much longer um, a project that's very much nascent and which we've been discussing with again with case and others here in Baghdad in Iraq and with Peter Stone the UNESCO chair in um, in peace and heritage studies at Newcastle University about Blue Shield now, Blue Shield is an organization, again, that was set up, uh, by, actually sort of inspired by the Hague Convention of 1954, which suggested or proposed the logo of a Blue Shield as analogous to Red Cross, as signifying sites that were of cultural significance and should be thereby protected from military activity. Uh, it's been patchily accepted around the world, it's fair to say. There are about 25 national committees of the of Blue Cross, mainly in Europe and the Americas. We've put in an application to the British Academy tackling the UK's International Challenges Scheme. It's just a one-year project, essentially to hire a researcher to look at what Blue Shield National Committees actually do. You know, what is a successful Blue Shield Committee? Who is on it? What kinds of people need to be involved from civil society as well as uh, professionals and governments um, and militaries too? Um, what sort of visions, mission statements do they have, what activities do they undertake, and how might that information enable us to articulate a way forward for an Iraqi Blue Shield Committee, and Case and others have agreed that this would be a, a good thing to do. So um, we'll see, I mean, if we don't get this grant, we'll go ahead with this in some form anyway, but the grant would certainly make it easier. And finally, a project that, uh, again, has sort of started outside Rashid and which um, builds uh, very much on my own and my wife, Dr. Wendy Matthews' research with colleagues here in Suleimania at uh, the site of Bestansur and in Suleimani Museum. This is another pending application to the Cultural Protection Fund, so I, I really don't want to say too much about it. Uh, but uh, we will certainly find out whether we've got this grant within a month or so. Um, and again, if we don't get this grant, we've got ways to do components of it at a slightly smaller scale. But it's a, essentially a public engagement and outreach program that does not overlap with the program that John very uh, beautifully uh, articulated to us previously. And I've been in discussion, of course, with the British Museum about making sure that we're not uh, overlapping in any way at all with their training. This is very much about training the trainers in a sustainable way to make the most of Iraq's cultural heritage in public engagement and outreach through museums, through site heritage management, involving a whole range of uh, local partners in uh, Suleimania, Erbil, and Baghdad, uh, with uh, some extremely talented uh, local um, professionals here in Suleimania, in particular, Rajin Mohammed Amin from Suleimania Polytechnic University and Osman Fatah, both great, great to see you both here today as well, um, who have uh, really amazing expertise and knowledge in museum studies and in Rogin's case in particular, use of augmented reality to enhance the experience of engagement at heritage sites. Uh, so if we get this grant, it's going to be an amazing experience for everyone. If we don't get it, as I say, we will definitely find ways to get almost everything done anyway. So I think I'm gonna skip right to my last Oh, yeah, the last thing is within that program will be uh, training in preparing submissions to the World Heritage uh, UNESCO, UNESCO Committee. And um, looking at the most recent um, 
issue, the accession of the Ahwar Marshes area, the, the sort of bottom one of the, in the South Iraq there on the map, just last year to the, world, the full World Heritage List. Uh, that got through, I think it's fair to say, as a sympathy vote, Ex excuse me if I express it that way, but looking at the reviews of it, which were published on the website before the meeting last July, which then got postponed by the coup attempt in Istanbul and finished off last week in Paris, um, there were very severe reservations about this application. It wasn't really up to standard um, in terms of its long-term conservation plans and so on. So we want to help the Iraqis, and the Iraqis have asked us to help with that. So that would be part of the program too. Okay. Shokran jazilan. Zor spas.